0: Hey Marie, happy Sunday.
1: Hey. Hi Diane, happy Sunday to you.
0: What's happening girl?
1: It's a beautiful day here.
0: It was, it's kind of cloudy here. But every day is a beautiful day, it's just cloudy. It's a cloudy, beautiful day. But it was beautiful, but the sun is not bright. So this week we're going to talk about, you said death and dying?
1: Death and dying.
0: <laughs> so since you chose the subject, I'll let you start this week. So what's up with the death and dying?
1: I wanted to talk about death and dying because it's not a subject that people normally talk about. People are afraid to talk about that subject, but it's a subject that we all know that we eventually are going to experience the death of loved ones or our own death. So I wanted to just kind of talk about what experiences we've had with death our family members and how it impacted us Um, and then also what preparations we have made uh, knowing that we're going to die so how do we live knowing that we're going to die right so what so how do you feel talking about that subject well um
0: i'll say one of a person who listened to a friend of mine who listened to our podcast last week asked me about your book, and she wanted to find it. So, I Googled you. I know you use different um, names when you're authoring things, so I Googled you, and the first thing that came up was the Black Folder. And every time, I, and the Black Folder is a a program that you develop to help people prepare for their death. So when you pass away, you could pull out. This is what I to just, I think, with the black folder. You could pull out, a family member could pull out the black folder and know what they should do after your death. Everything should be in that black folder. So what I think about death, I I think, like you, that death is a part of living. And uh, when you first said it, I was like, okay, (laughs) that's what we're going to talk about. But I think that all deaths are not, physical where you die to self i mean you die to out of this world and you go to another world i've lived i've experienced this i've have experienced a lot of deaths Uh, not just uh family members but i've experienced death of you know like your book just quit i've experienced job death uh career death um but not in a bad way, because after that it was a certain type of resurrection um I've experienced um you know um relationship death, which when it was when you're going through it, it seemed terrible, but when you get on the other side, it was probably a good death <laughs> where death can be good uh so I think that death again is a part of the life cycle that things have to die to To whatever the universe, the earth, the um to an individual for something else to be born, and um I think that I'm not totally not afraid of death because uh, I've experienced so many deaths, but it's still the unknown um and it's to me it's exciting and it's um it's scary at the same time um but death is a part of the life cycle. In anything, um, just like there are no longer blockbusters, we have Netflix. <laughs> so uh, blockbusters had to die to birth Netflix, and so um, so death is not always bad. Uh, death means to me sometimes new life or a new beginning.
1: Okay, you know, and, and as you were saying that, I was thinking about like right now the seasons changing, and the mm-hmm. fall things die. You know, you can just sit outside and watch the leaves falling off the trees, right? Mm -hmm. That's death, the death of that tree. But we know that a new leaf is going to be born. And then also I was thinking about um, a really good friend of mine who died. And when he died on the back of his uh, program was the Hopi prayer of the soul's graduation where you were talking about you have to die to a lot of things. But really, I'm talking about you are dead as the person that you know yourself to be. Your body is gone. And this Hopi's prayer, which is, you know, the Native Americans, Hopi Indians. And it was about, you know, why are you sitting there at my grave and weeping and crying? I'm not there. You know, I'm not asleep. You know, I'm in the wind. I'm in the leaves. Uh, I'm, I'm expansive. Basically, you know, I've gone back to this force, right? Uh, So it's like, yeah, it is the unknown. I call it like the tunnel of change, like everything else in life is a change. But it's the ultimate unknown, right? So once you can overcome that fear, a lot of the other fears you have in life fade away, right? And it's almost like anything else, if you overcome a lot of the fears for... By preparing for it. So that's the reason why I started my own black folder. Um, and that was back in 2001. After 9-11, I was traveling a lot, a whole lot on an airplane. And then 9-11 happened. People died for real. Right. Mm-hmm. On a plane. They died on the plane at that time. Siemens, I was working for Siemens. They said, you don't have to travel till you want to, you know, feels comfortable traveling. But I knew I was going to have to get back on a plane mm-hmm. and anything could happen. David was about 18 then. So I said, OK, I've got to get back on a plane, but I've got to pull at least all this together. So if a plane goes down, he'll know where to find everything. You know, everybody will know where to find everything. So that's why I started my own black folder, right? Because it was just the right thing to do. Is it easy? No, because you're just facing the fact that one day you're not going to be here, but one day you're not going to be here. I mean, that's real. So for me, I also think about when I came back here to Hampton, I met this lady who was going to help me market the Black Folder Project Mm -hmm. and her marketing piece was, oh, well, you got to be a little bit more uh, softer with it. You know, people can't deal with this. So make it a little bit lighter. And in my heart of hearts, I thought, no, I'm not because... Deaf is hard and you've got to face that. I mean, pull your pants up and face it the way I kind of felt about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So when you Google me, if you Google Ryder Richardson, you will find the Black Folder Project. And it's something mm-hmm. that's now what I'm doing is I'm doing it one on one with family and friends. So the people that I love will have a Black Folder with their will, their living will, and Uh, Their power of attorney in it, things, documents that you need to have for your loved ones.
0: Yes, I think I I found my black folder, but now I need to go back and do the work because um, you made me think of a lot of things. Uh, One of my friends is actually an estate, an elder law attorney. And about 15, 20 years ago, she called me and said she was on this program at Howard University in the School of Medicine. Um, in the area of spirituality and medicine for it um, a Department of Spirituality and Medicine. And she said they asked her to speak at once at their conference. And she was thinking, what would I speak about? And so she said she thought about what she would speak about before she went. So she called me and she said, that's what I spoke about. And I, you need to come to the next conference. This is like 20 years ago. And she said that she spoke about um, that when she was in law school, she was excited to go to law school because she went in her 40s. And, um, you know, it was a new beginning for her. She had worked for Pan Am for years and Pan Am went out of business and she had to start over. And so um, she was in law school and she said that um, she, after like a year or so there, she didn't like it anymore. And so she said, OK, I'm in it and I'm invested this money um, getting student loans. I need to find out how I fit. And she said she found it how she fit is not she decided not to practice law, but have a ministry. Uh, let her be a ministry where she served people. And so she said, so she took that idea and put it into her presentation at the School of Medicine Spirituality and Medicine Conference where she talked about when Lazarus died, everyone was speaking uh, except Lazarus. And she um, said that, she said what, um, like, what you're talking about, so black folder or your will or states should be your voice speaking from the grave, like Everyone was speaking. Jesus wept. The women was fussing at Jesus because he should have been there and her bare brother died. But Lazarus didn't say anything. So she said, when you die, what would you say from the grave? And I think if you put it in your black folder or hired her to do your will on the states, that you can talk from the grave and not only talk from the grave, some things you, you'll you be talking for generations or so legacy. Like if you left for money to a university or a scholarship, or you did something. So I believe that um, what I want to do when I die, because I was in a horrible accident and, um, and the people who put me back together were brilliant. I had a chance to be in the hospital a long time and meet some of the surgeons. And they were not just surgeons. They were human beings. Um, like when you, talk to them, you know, just brilliant minds and good people and believe in what they were doing. So I believe I want to give my body back to them. So whatever they, whatever my body adjusted to all this metal from my head to my neck, head to my feet, that they can learn something from me mending and their medicine and my healing to help someone else, or heal, help heal, or put somebody else back together. So that's one of the things I want to do. But every day, even what we're doing now, um, because of the digital archives, this is going to be the first time in America, I me, mean, in the world history, that from social media, and I think even this podcast we thought of as social media, this is going to be the first time that human beings can leave their own digital history. So. A hundred years from now, if they still have it in this platform somewhere, somebody can go and hear cousins dropping knowledge. <laughs> and so, um, so I think in the future. Um, so that's what I want to do. I I believe that I'm like you. We all going to die, but what are you going to leave? What is going to be my legacy when I die? Uh, what am I going to leave for the next generation?
1: Exactly um so have you done everything you need to do in order to give your body back to science I have not so I have to
0: I, you know what I need to put it put it in my uh, phone and my calendar but I have pulled down the app not the app it's the application that I have to fill out um to I found the application from the uh I when I was at the University of Maryland a shock trauma center but I would give my body back to the University of Medicine I think School of Medicine or School of uh, School of Medicine, I think, or the University Hospital. So they would um, have to pull down the form. I found the form. I got to print it out, fill it up, and then get, I think I have to get it notarized, and then I sent it back to them. But I'm going to put that on my calendar this week. And okay. That's one, the, that's one of the things I want to do. But I think that um, when I was writing my book, uh, since so she's talked about Native Americans, it was. I forgot the name of the book, but one of the things that I, one of my references that I read about death and dying and trauma was that this, native, this man went out to research Native Americans um, around living and dying. And he said that this woman was talking about her death, a Native American woman, like it was like fixing dinner. And and she was talking about how she was preparing for death and her spirits for young was preparing for her to come. He said within a week she was dead, but she wasn't talking about it morbidly. She was talking about it almost like dinner or going on a trip. And she, he said that, um, you know, in Western culture, we uh, don't even like to talk about death, but they talk, the tribe he was working with was talking about it like it was a part of living. And so that's the way I try to think of death. It's, um, It's a part of the life cycle and, it's not the end, like you said at the beginning, but the Indian um, story, that you just become more expansive and you transfer into something else, uh, into another form.
1: And think about this, Diane. You talked about, you know, having the documents that and your friend who's the uh, elder state attorney talking about those documents will talk for you from the grave, right? Mm -hmm. So think about not having those documents, right? And then what you do to your family, because they don't know, right? That you're psychic, you know, so I don't know how many people you've told that you want your body you know, give it back to science and exactly who to, who it needs to go back to. But if you don't do that, someone else has to fill out that application, right? right? So you're doing them a favor by doing the work for them up front, right? Then I think about people like Prince, maybe not Prince, but yes. who? Aretha Franklin. She mm-hmm. knew she was going to die. She had cancer. She was going to die without a will. So she dies without a will. Prince dies without a will, so as a responsible adult, it's almost like you're talking about you know the Native Americans like it was taking a trip. It is like taking a trip, but mm-hmm. you didn't plan for your your vacations when we were going on vacations, right? <laughs> you <laughs> plan for those, but you're not gonna plan for something you know for sure is going to happen one day, you know whether it's twenty fifty years from now, so I mean I'm really I would call myself an advocate for that, and I think. It was not just really 2001. It really was before that. I won't say the name of the funeral home, but you know where I'm talking about in Danville. Yes. Yeah. Okay. When my brother died, when he died, what I learned from that experience, because I went up there ahead of my father to plan for it, mm-hmm. is that it's a business. It's an industry, right? And so. If you're not, if you don't specifically write out things for your family members, twenty, thirty thousand dollars could go to a funeral home that you didn't want to go there. Mm-hmm. So, because it's a business and they want your money, and they're gonna give you that line of "Don't you want your person that you love so much, you know, buried in style?" So, you know, my, I just advocate that it doesn't mean that you're gonna die tomorrow, but it means that you're you're an adult. You're doing an adult thing for the people that you love.
0: Yes, I agree. I think that um, uh, one of my friends uh, f- friends died during this COVID season, and she said that they've inflated everything uh, since the, it's almost like they're gouging people during this COVID season. you think that they would be trying to be more uh, empathetic and sympathetic during this COVID. She said that the that, that industry is really, she said, well, I think it was no casket in there under five or $10,000 everything was like doubled all the little line items you're talking about you pay for and and so uh they realized that <clears throat> they were actually playing on people's death, you know, they were um monetizing the death even more with covid uh this industry. So like you said as a business and so we have to and to me I think I think it's really um just just me it's not you know, it's my opinion. I don't think it's good good stewardship of your money to put all that money in the grave in a hole. I think that you should, because I've worked in colleges, especially historically by HBCUs, that um, there are students at college, and I and I was at college, I struggled financially too, that you should be thinking about partnering with a college uh, or lending your estate's attorney or put it in a black folder. Some money should be left to a a student to go to college or to buy a meal plan or to buy his book, his or her books, or to pay for one semester. Um, Because then, then you're really, to me, um, leaving a legacy instead of just putting $40,000 in the grave, maybe put five in there and 35 goes to some schools. It may be just a semester, 35,000, but 35,000 for some schools could pay for the whole Three, two or three years, two years. And so um, I think that people uh, should really think about that. Um, like you said, have the black folder. You know, I'm going to spend more time working on mine. Um, I believe that leave a legacy and serve someone else, pass it on. Because I know if it wasn't for my uh, higher education, it changed the trajectory of my life. And I know that if someone else could finish college who was struggling and in there struggling and they can if they did know some scholarship or someone and had left the university some money that they can use to finish. It, it can it can. It, a college education really changed the trajectory of your life. Um, and so that's another thing I advocate for people to leave money to colleges for student scholarships and students. Who are struggling with uh, higher education costs? So,
1: and I think that if you if you're if you're ahead of the game in making those preparations, you can do that. But if you're not, you don't have the documentation together for your family. That's probably the last thing your family's yes. going to think about because they're going to be so emotional. You're gone, and they got to figure out what to do with all your stuff and what bills do you have and what insurance policies do you have and Do you even have any insurance policies to bury you? The last thing they're going to be thinking about is giving the money, you know, to someone else. So that's why it's like, it has to be some preparation or else what happens is the emotions take over and then you don't make good decisions because you're into emotional decision making, right? You're not even thinking with your cognitive part of your brain. You're thinking with the emotional part of your brain and that's how they get you, right?
0: Yes. Well, well, one of the things that uh, since you and I have um, experienced, um, your brother I think my husband died first and your brother was killed and they were both in their 30s. Well, you said Paul was 40. Mm -hmm. Charles was was 36 or 37. But one of the things that um, one of the things I know I've learned about death from, you know, uh, one of my friends told me was, well, I was telling people should have told us. Once you hit 40, that it's, death will be coming every year almost. It's going to be somebody close to you or that you know after, once you turn 40, death will come often. and um, But people don't tell you stuff like that. But I tell people that after you turn 40, death will come often from family members, from friends, from close, um, from just people. Because um, the Bible basically says 70 years is you know, and then after all that is grace, it kind of, it still kind of remains true. But one thing I found out about death, that the people who have died close to me, that God kind of warned me in dreams before, mm. uh, before they pass. And so it was not, it's like this old lady used to go to church with me. She was like 90 something years. She said, she said, you can be prepared, but you're never ready. And so I think what you were talking about, it's about preparation. Um, But even so preparation is doing the paperwork is doing the black folder is calling your state's attorney or your um, but that's all kind of legal paperwork, but the emotional part is still always you're never ready for the emotional part of death to me. (laughs) And you just have to get just it's almost brace yourself. Because you don't know what roller coaster that death is going to take you on.
1: Absolutely. Um, I, I thought about when you said that about, um, I thought about what, when my brother died, what Uncle Charles told me. You know the picture that I sent you of me and Uncle Charles? It, right. I don't know who took that picture. But at that time, what he told me, two things that I'll never forget. He said, you know what? He said, from this point on, what you need to know is that one or two things are going to happen. You're going to die or people you love are going to die.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, so you're going to be dealing with death. And I know this is hard that your brother died so abruptly. And he said, the other thing I want you to understand, and this is 25 years in the making. He said, who killed your brother from that murder? He said, you know how, you know, you get a cold and we've gotten colds for thousands of years. It's been a cold. Has anybody ever solved or the, the why there's what a cold is and why you get a cold? And no, he said, you may not solve this either. You wow. may never know. And so I kind of kept those two things in the back of my mind. And the, the last one about, I may never know. I left it there like, okay, maybe I'm not supposed to know. Um, But now, you know, I've talked to you about this, that now that, my brother Keithy is been gathering documentation about Paul Wesley's murder. Well, maybe I won't know, but I should try to find out.
0: Right. And I think also too, it's probably been about 30 years now, hasn't it?
1: Twenty-five years, nineteen ninety five. I know that only because I have if you I should take a picture and send it to you. I in the shop I have it looks like a murder mystery. You know, mm-hmm. here the interviews, here the suspects, here's the timeline of his, you know, last two weeks. Yeah, and I had to write 1995 of there so I could remember it's not, you know, no technology. It was a phone in his house, right? <laughs> you know? So it was like, I have to keep remembering, remembering how long ago this was and what was happening in 1995. Wow, 25 years ago.
0: You know, I saw him probably maybe about six or seven months before his death, I went to visit him, and um, I, I I didn't go to visit him. I was called, I was working for a, a Japanese pharmaceutical company, and they told me I needed to fly to Atlanta. So when I flew to Atlanta, well, I called him and said, I got to fly to Atlanta in, in like the next day or two days, so uh, you don't have to pick me up at the airport, but... Um, Let's meet somewhere if I finish whatever I have to do. And so we, uh, I flew down there. When I flew down there, at the meeting, they laid me off. I was thinking they could have called me on the phone. Why did I fly away down here to be laid off? And so I was really kind of distraught, though, really, you know, even though I laughed, you know, like a nervous laugh when I left the room. <laughs> You know, I'm thinking, oh, my God, I got to find a job, you know, and I was as a pharmaceutical rep, you drove a company car. Now I got to get a car. You know, I was thinking about a lot of things. I was really laughing, but I was really scared and seriously depressed, depressed a little bit. And so I called your brother and said, I'm finished with the meeting. Is he finished already? I don't think I told him because he would have been fussed if I said I just got laid off or something. And I said, I'll meet you downtown for lunch. And we met downtown for lunch. Of course, he took me to the Coke building and we did the Coke tour. And then we went to the underground. This is when Atlanta was, you know, like to said, it was 1995. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so it was beautiful and exciting. And and so popping. Poppin', yes. So when I left, he had to go back to work. And I told him what I do. I'll just walk around downtown more. And then I'll he showed me where he told me where his office and I'll just come over to the office and then we'll go home together. But I remember when um I stopped and I said, Well, maybe I didn't eat any fruit for lunch. Let me get a banana or something. I think I I forgot what I had, but I said, Let me just get some fruit. And so this guy on the corner on this, you know, it's a street vendor selling fruit. We had a lot of people trying to buy fruit. So I said, you know, I don't feel like waiting, because I was thinking about just being laid off. My mind was like, going a million miles a minute. And so um are worried, really. And so um, the guy who was selling fruit, he looked at me when I got out of line and said, oh, I got to. Can you wait? Because I had to tell you something. And so I said, OK. And I was like, are you talking to me? He said, yeah, can you just wait? It won't take as long as you think. But I need to tell you something. So, you know, I was thinking, I really don't have anything to do. I've just needed my mind not to be standing in line. Need to be walking or just, so let me just wait. So I waited. And so he said, This is what I have to tell you remember the best, do your best, forget the rest. This is a
1: test. An angel. (laughs) And so he said, An angel (laughs) unawares.
0: So he said, Let me tell you again. Remember the best. Remember, remember the best. Do your best. Forget the rest. This is a test. And so I walked away. He said it again. He said it like three times. She said, "Cause I want you. I don't want you to be there. But remember the best. Do your best. Forget the rest. This is a test." And so when I walked away, I almost started running and crying and screaming at the same time. Happy, joyous, scared fearful because i realized like you said an angel but that god the spirit and the spirit of god knows you so well he knows what i was going through and he sent somebody to comfort me and and so i was gonna tell paul i think i told paul about it because paul wasn't that spiritual but i think i told him because I, would, I had to tell somebody and so he went and said okay diane I got something for you. This is what I use when I'm going through. And I feel like I'm going through a little bit. He put on this song by Patty LaBelle, When You've Been Blessed. It's like Mm -hmm. heaven. It's like heaven. I think we played at his funeral because I think I told you all that story. Absolutely. And so he said, When you've been blessed, it's like heaven. so whenever I think about him, I think that that man was preparing me for what I was going through, but also preparing me that paul, this is your last time to see him, but he's okay because he's in heaven, he's in paradise, because he said that's what he listens to in the morning, and when he's going through, this is what he listens to, and so to me, it's death is not like you said, it's not the end, it's something it's something good, and it maybe paul he had done his best. had finished it was over and he um it was a test life to me the whole thing of life is a test you know um and hope and sometimes I have failed miserably just miserably and I remember one time I was confronting God about not being where I thought I should be and he said well Diane you have failed but you're one of those people that when you take my classes, you can't make a pass or a fail. You have to make a hundred. one of my students. I expect to make it, get them all right. And I'm going to keep taking you through the test till you make a hundred. And one time I was, it was Barack Obama's first election and they were having all these events in D.C. And so this girl told me that they were going to have a live Oprah Winfrey show and they have having a, a live um, what's her name, Aretha Franklin show at the Kennedy Center, but you had to get in line. So I got in line for the, I mean, Aretha Franklin. I got my ticket for Aretha Franklin. So I was trying to get in the line for, I was in the line for Oprah Winfrey, the live Oprah Winfrey show at the Kennedy Center. And so they gave us, after the that auditorium got filled, they gave us numbers. So they was going to call us in as they go. And so I was in line. So I had like and. 57, something ridiculous. I probably won't ever get in. And so this um, this woman who was about, she I had been talking to her. She walked up to me and she gave me her ticket. And the ticket said 100. And she said, I'm not going to wait in line. It's too cold out here. Plus, I'm tired of waiting. So take this 100. Take my ticket. And I turned it over and it said 100. And she doesn't know for me, it was a night. I, I didn't get into the Oprah Winfrey show. But I passed the test. I finally mm-hmm. got a hundred, and and so for with death to me, uh, Paul, because he was such an influential person, and he was like a, the ultimate senior brother in African culture, or big brother in African American culture. He was the ultimate senior brother and big brother. He pushed us not yes. lightly. He <laughs> not lightly, you know, harshly, but push, push, push and so to me he was finished he made his hundred he had done the best he had finished the tests, and you know he got his hundred and it was time to go and um, and I'm sorry he left so young but I think he did I know he did what he's supposed to do because we're still talking right
1: I think about um, I ran into Aetna Davis recently and mm-hmm. you know how you think you know, you think, you know, everything that someone did in in, the, in their life for others. Mm-hmm. Edna says to me, uh, somehow we get on the subject of Paul Wesley. And she said, you know, Marie, I would not have run track if it wasn't for your brother. You know, and she explained wow. the story to me how, you know, her mom wanted her to do jazz, tap and ballet. But she wanted to do track and then policy, you know, kind of coached her and showed her how to do it. You know, Edna ended up going on scholarship because of track, you know, Mm -hmm. so you just never know the impact that, that you can have on a person's life, the trajectory of different people's lives. And, you know, when I think of, I think of like, we all know how the story ends. We all know how it ends, but as we're going through life, we have to be thinking, I'm always thinking about the end in mind. So you have to always be thinking about how you handle something. Did you handle it well? Even in your in the moment, because it's going to pass. That moment passed. And all you're going to be left with is memories. And I, I still remember a lady, the manager I used to work with. I think it was when my father was dying of cancer. And we were, I left, I guess, to take some time off because of that. And she stopped me, she looked at me, she held my hands, and she said, I want you to remember something. What you're going to be left with is memories, so make good memories. you know." Mm-hmm. And that made a difference yes. to me, that I I knew I was in a point where I wasn't going to be able to talk to him anymore. I wasn't going to be able to see him anymore. So I really made a point of really making really good memories. Yes.
0: Well, I remember... Uh, I remember one time um, talking about good memories and dying that uh, my husband died, I think, in 93. And you said Paul Wesley died yes. in 95? Okay. Charles died in 93, June 24th, 1993. And uh, a few weeks or months later, I don't know what time, it was shortly after he died, some friends and I decided to go out to dinner, meet for dinner. And um, I remember when Charles died, I lost like 15 pounds and like, 10 days. You know, I wish I knew the secret.
1: Diane, you still there? Diane, you still there? It's hard to hear you. Diane, it's hard to hear you.
0: gravy and grease and mashed potatoes and everything and and um, we were talking and but when the food came I might have taken one bite and so this lady came in the table beside us and she said why aren't you eating I heard this is the best food is what the food's that bad you're not even eating anything and I said no it's not the food it's me and she said so why are you not eating and so I said you know, I didn't want to tell, you know, I didn't know the lady. I didn't want to sound, you know, mournful or anything. So I said, you know, my husband died. or One of the people's benefits. She said, her husband died. She's lost her appetite. And she said, can I tell you something? And I said, yeah. She said, if somebody was coming to visit you, like if you had some out outtown town guests coming to see you uh, next week, um, what would you probably start doing? I said, probably like cleaning up and getting the room ready and you know getting ready, and you know maybe even going to the grocery store, buying some more food or call them, see what they want to eat for breakfast or lunch or whatever dinner and so she said, oh so so your husband left, so don't you think that the on the other side, people was preparing for him the same way, so you should be happy that He's at this place where people have prepared this room and this food for him. So go ahead on and eat because he's enjoying himself. (laughs) So eat, have fun. Because he is. And I was like, wow, thank you.
1: Thank you. I think about, um, I think about. Some people may not appreciate this, but I remember when my mother died, it was like an energetic wrenching. You know, I had gone through, you know, brother, my father, but something about when your mother dies, it's almost like the world tilts a little bit and never tilts back. Uh, And I felt that tilt and I I was walking a lot, still do, but every day around the school building, back then in 2012 and i would just talk to her like she was there i mean she was right there with me i was talking to her uh and i thought what is what is happening and so i'll never forget running into this poem uh about the poet um marie howe and it was about um her her brother had died, mm-hmm. and she was. T- it was a poem about my dead friends. Like she's like, you know, when I got to make a decision, I'll ask them. What would you do? What should I do? Should mm-hmm. I call mm-hmm. <laughs> or should I take that job? And they always knew the answer, you know. So there is a veil. It's just a veil. But mm-hmm. those the, these spirits are somewhere, and our ancestors are, you know. There's somewhere, you know, we're drawing from that. And we have to know that. We have to know it.
0: Amen. I I agree. I think that um, when you're saying that, I was thinking, um, I was talking to a friend of mine, um, her mom, and my mother has passed to it, her mother's passed. And she was talking about after our accident, and you know, she was released a month. You know, she was only in the hospital for 11 days in tested care. I was in over 200 days. But she said when she came home, You know, she couldn't work. She was, you know, going through some things. And she said she was laying in bed in a lot of pain and just going through a lot. Um, You know, trauma is trauma. And so she said her mother passed on. But she said that something soft and comfortable hugged her. And she said her mother came with her. And she said, "Diana I started to cry because she came to comfort me. And I said, yeah, I think that um, they still are there. And then when she saw you, you know, she needed, she knows you needed that. So she came back or her spirit came back to comfort you. So I believe I said, you're not, you don't scare me by saying that. Or I don't think that, I don't think that's crazy. Uh, None of that. I think that um, like you said, they go somewhere, but also they come back when you needed them. Like she would, when you go on your walk, she's probably walking beside you. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. you know? Yes, that's the way it felt. It felt like she was right there with me. Yeah, they yes. were
0: walking beside you. So if that doesn't, to me, is thank God, you know, thank God for the ancestors. And I like the fact of asking the ancestors what you should do and the folks that decide what you should do. Who would know best? Because they have their, their ear to God's mouth all day long.
1: And in in this Marie Howe poem, the reason why she said that she would talk to them is because she said they've gone through the frightening door. Mm,
0: mm.
1: You know, they've already gone through the frightening door that you know we think is you know we're so afraid of. They've gone through that door already. Wow. You know,
0: uh, after you know, I was in an accident in in the hospital two hundred days, and. um and when I came back to church, like at the chapel at Howard University, a lot of people will walk up to me and tell me very, very serious things. You know, like one lady was telling me she had been working on her doctorate for I forgot how many years because she hadn't finished. You know, I think she put out the program and she was asking me what do I think. And then people will come and say, you know, they got a diagnosis for cancer, and one lady basically told me she was dying. And so I was telling some the dean of the chapel one day. I was talking to him, another person at the chapel, that people coming to me with very serious things. And he said, because I, because I didn't what's did the word you said, going through that door. She said, he said, because they think you've gone, you've been close to the door.
1: Mm-hmm. Right. So,
0: so they think that you can help them because there's a death that's happening. To, something is dying with around them or in them. And they think that you have some answers. That's why they're coming. And, she, and he said, you do, Diane, because you did go to the door. And I said, well, I tell people that for the longest, and every, even now since we have this COVID, I have my Twilight Zone moments because I don't know if it's real, or this life is real, or, or is it Memorex? I, in the I, Matrix. <laughs> I the you,
1: Matrix, I, Diane. <laughs>
0: because I was on so many drugs when I was in there, you know, I was had so many operations. And so what did I go, you know, to go through all of that pain, and to all of that recovery, and all of that, you know, sedation? Mm-hmm. Um, I must have went somewhere, because, you know, I'm still in my fairly right mind. But I tell people, that um, some days I wake up, especially since COVID, it's like, been more, you know, it's almost a year again, we almost a few months, we've been a year in COVID, been in the house and social isolating and social distancing and um, so um, is it real or is it Memorex? And so I tell people that it's not, it's, um, it's soft, whatever it was, that I went through close, being close to the door, it's a soft landing. It's not a hard landing. Um, If you have a relationship with God or if you have a relationship with the something, you know, whatever you believe in. I didn't, one of my friends asked me, did I, did I see my mother? And I said, no. And I'm glad I didn't because I probably would have went with her. I probably would have crossed over to the other side, but, I talked to God mostly. I didn't fuss with him. I didn't complain. I was just, in. I don't know if I even talked with him or or the spirit of God. I think I just had good company and quietness a lot with him. Um, He was my comfort through it all. But um, it's a soft landing. It's it's an easy door. Um, It's nothing hard about, to me, my experience being close to death. To me, it wasn't hard, it was soft, and I think because I already I already we already have a relationship, like that you know, they tell you that have this personal relationship with God. I'm right. you know, we know each other, so um, we know each other, so you know, Jesus, and sometimes, like, you know, people and you're taking a long trip, you don't have to talk the whole way, y'all sometimes will just sit in the car with each other. And you talk if you want to talk, or if you know you just want to chit chat a little bit. But it was just it's soft, um, and like you know, they tell you now. You see all these celebrities talk about. What would you, what would you write to the the little Marie or the little Diane? And I would basically tell them this too shall pass. <laughs> it's just like it ain't that serious. I keep exactly. Going, <laughs> keep going. Um, keep going. You know, be like Sojourner, you know, and Harriet Tubman, they kept going, you know. Just keep going and see what the end looks like. And then you the end I think it never ends. Um just keep going.
1: And So Diane, we're right at 45 minute mark. Okay. Um so I guess for me, I think as the conclusion of the matter, Mhm is a quote from one of my favorite movies of all time, Shawshank Redemption. My too. <laughs>
0: I didn't <love> know that. <laughs> well, I was so about that movie yesterday.
1: Okay. And it is get busy living or get busy dying. You know, so we're all still alive right now. So make your mark, leave your legacy, you know, do good things for other people, make good memories while you're leaving.
0: I agree 100% you know um one day I was on the phone trying to get some senior service senior citizen services for a senior citizen that you're talking to I always say, <laughs> I don't think of myself as a senior citizen but my age says AARP and Medicare Medicare so um so I talking, I <laughs> so this lady said to me I uh, uh, you know, I thought she works with some service in Washington, D.C. They actually, they have contracted to handle a lot of the services. So she said, well, I just have one question for you. I said, well, she said, how old are you and where were you born? I told her. And so I said, well, she said, you know, I asked you that because, you know, these services are for senior citizens that you're asking for, that you're trying to get. And so she said, I said, you know what? I get that sometimes. I said, I sound 25, but I'm 65. I said, because I said, my spirit is still 25 inside of me. I'm still 25 years old, but the outside says senior citizen, Medicare. <laughs> 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 and so I this is my new thing. I tell people I'm trying to decide in the next year, you know, if health and everything is willing is good. Do I want to buy a, a small Winnebago and travel the United States and live in campgrounds and wake up in in natural parks and go fishing and talk to the people, or do I want to go somewhere and sit in the house and wait on Wheel of Fortune and Jeopardy? And so.
1: Oh, Diane, please buy the camper, cause I will go with you from time to time when I can. I, mean, I got five more years, but, you know, in, yeah, I can do it a couple weekends until the five years hits, okay? Please. Okay. Let me help you buy oh, the camper. God, well,
0: thank you, Marie. So, this is what I, so I'm going to do it. So, I've been looking at campers, um, and so my cousin, one of my cousins, another cousin, because we will bring other cousins on in the future. One of my, uh, one of our other mother's daughter's children said, well, Diane, buy both get the condo and buy the camper you know so if you get tired of the camper you can come back so she said think about god can bless you with both but now i got a co-partner in the camper so i put yeah (laughs) so we're gonna and the reason i say that one time my nieces and i were in atlanta on a vacation and i was it was juneteenth the juneteenth festival at morris brown college so it was um so this, I was sitting down, you know, after a while, I had to sit down because of my injuries instead of just people walking the festival. So I sat down beside this lady who was, i say my age, maybe a little bit, you know, maybe about 57 or 58. And I was probably early 60s then. And so, or 60 at the mark. And so she said, brings you here. And so she said, I, uh, so she said, um, I read about Juneteenth. I've never heard of it. She was from Vermont. And so she said, so... Every year, I left my job a few years ago. I left my job in my mid-50s because I was starting, why am I just struggling and running around for other folks? And I took my money and bought this camper, and I had traveled the United States. So this year, I'm doing southwest, being southeastern the U.S., southeastern U.S. So when I read about Juneteenth, I said, this is a perfect place to come uh, to experience Georgia, Different, you know, the ethnic part of Georgia and this Juneteenth Festival. And so, so we were talking, and she said last year she did Colorado, you know, Midwest or something. She's, you know, every year she take a part and just do that, just saturate that area. And so I was telling uh, a friend of mine, if my nieces weren't living with me at the time, I would have left and went with her. I was going to invite myself and say, Can I go?
1: <laughs> you know Ty all you really need is some really inexpensive property in Danville yeah, already, to park it you
0: know. Toilet, I'm, looking, I'm looking to you're already I'm on it but now I got a partner I can get the good Winnebago you know we,
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay because <laughs> okay, I've been looking at them too so okay we're going get there girlfriend we're going get there cousin
0: So. <laughs> yeah, yes, so we I are. Said, I want to wake up in the morning and go fishing, and sit outside and talk to people besides, you know, virtual people, and you know, make and just sit and enjoy nature and go for a walk in the red woods, the forest, or in California beach. I want to live before I die, and live as you know, a neck of life to do my best and forget the rest and make this test so much fun. So.
1: And that's your that's your get busy yeah. living. That's get busy yes, living.
0: all right.
1: Of the, the other option is get busy I'm dying.
0: Living I'm living.
1: I'm living. And the other option is sitting in front of Jeopardy or whatever. <laughs> well, that right. Well,
0: hauling <laughs> out letters, you know.
1: <laughs> all right. So we're gonna have to have a conversation about uh, campers. Yes. Uh,
0: yes. We
1: have to have a conversation yes. about that.
0: All right. Well. See, even death can be, I was thinking, even talking about death can be fun. So we, uh, yeah, thank God for death and life.
1: Doesn't have to be morbid. It's just another conversation to have. So if if you happen upon this podcast, just know that it's something that you can open up, think about, and talk about.
0: All right, Marie, thanks for another great Sunday. Happy Sunday! Yes. Yes.
1: Happy Sunday to you too. Another episode of cousins That's dropping a, knowledge. Talk God to you later. Bye you. again. Bye
0: Bye-bye. bye. Bye.